0: Hey, it's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. It's no secret worldwide about the the train wreck, the deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan, Uh, but it still continues. The story isn't over. Uh, The actions of the Taliban, uh, other things that are going on in that country... Uh, are just dragging it back to whatever century before modern society even was a thought. Chad Robichaud, founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, uh, Marine Corps veteran, joins me now. Saving Aziz, how the mission to help one became a calling to save thousands from the Taliban. Uh, The story, Chad, is phenomenal in a sense tragic in so many ways and yet out of all of this tragedy thousands have been saved from the taliban yeah it's uh you know we wanted to go and get my interpreter uh, aziz when we saw the
1: fall uh, of afghanistan coming when president biden announced the poland total withdrawal and uh we put together a small team to go and get aziz and and, uh, former special operations guys, and our, our heart was really compelled to uh to do more help with means we can and ultimately resulted in the rescue of seventeen thousand people from afghanistan and uh like you said in the opening this was a, a catastrophic uh, uh event that took place that was you know completely on the on the shoulders of the White House and this should have never happened and uh right now we're just seeing the the uh results of this start to pan out. Everything we suspected would happen. You know, 40 million people are still trapped in Afghanistan uh, and 20 million women are being sexually enslaved by the, by the Taliban have lost their human rights. And, uh, and we have Americans still trapped there and we have, uh, uh, 75,000 of our allies that fought alongside of us for 20 years that have a contractual promise to the United States to, to, to give them a process to ha- have the chance to come to America. Uh, they've all been abandoned, including, you know, let's not forget, uh, us giving our uh, most strategic place in the globe between Iraq, Iran, Russia, and China, Bagram Air Force Base, to our enemies, and leaving $85 billion of equipment behind.
0: I mean, you know, to go back in history, even the Russians and during the Soviet era, uh, saw the the valuable position that Bagram was. They 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 built it for that reason. Uh, let's draw uh, some distinctions with your help. As you said, the numbers: uh, twelve thousand within the first ten days, seven thousand overall. The evacuees in weeks, uh, but you know. Compare, contrast, make the distinction between what you and your team did uh, and you write about in Saving Aziz versus what we saw with the Biden administration and unvetted uh, plane loads being brought to Dulles Air Force Base. While planes were in the air, they were trying to figure out where they could send them to the National Guard base. There would have to be a training base. So many stories, so many problems. With just a flood of people taking out without vetting, yeah, it's an important question because uh, it's, it's actually one of the things that
1: people, you know, publicly attacked us for, saying, "You're bringing these people to the United States, and and uh, you don't even know who they are." So first, first of all, you know, I'm not the State Department, so I don't have any ability to bring anyone to the United States. Uh, we're simply evacuating people from Afghanistan, bringing them to a third party country, United Arab Emirates, where the State Department could process process them from there. Yet the people we're getting out. Uh, our manifest had to have people with paperwork, SIVs, which are our interpreters and, and allies, uh, P1, P2 visas, people that would be qualified to actually uh, even make it in the process with the State Department. Uh, uh, opposite of that was the DOD planes that were being loaded with people that, that rushed the gate. The military was told to crack the gates open and uh, let, people in, let people in in groups. They would put those people in a, in a hangar. And then they would load them on aircraft, uh, not knowing who they were, not vetted at all by them directly to the United States with no immigration process at all. And they were not even obligated to stay in these facilities here in the United States and and walk off freely into into America. And uh, so I share those concerns as someone that was involved in this evacuation, you know, and and even, like I said, at times even asked, hey, why did you guys do that? And, you know, I share those concerns. I I believe that people, uh, if not – it it would be more – very likely that people that were bad actors and don't like the United States made it in those planes and made it here. And so I, I share that. I have a concern that if something ever happens, then the NGOs will get blamed. Uh, and I expressed that in that book. But uh, the truth is all the NGOs, including ours, uh, had a process we had to, to go through to bring vetted, put vetted people on planes. And then we brought them a third-party country for the State Department to, to allow them uh, access to start their immigration process in that third-party country. That was not the case for the DOD. You
0: know, overall... How's that process going? You know, there there are elements of this. If you were able, if and I say you, but if people were able to get to India, for example, they had a 24-hour refugee visa capability. If they got into Pakistan across the border uh, by bribery or other ways, they were able to get to some safeties and then transit from there. So overall, and again, not in detail because 17,000 evacuees, uh, that number, round number we're talking about, overall... How's the effort now? Well, I mean, um,
1: as far as continuing to get people out of Afghanistan, uh, that effort's been shut down because we have no – even if we get them out of Afghanistan, we have no place to legally bring them because the State Department has successfully closed all those doors on, on us and any other NGOs. Uh, so there is really no mechanism to move people, even, even people with paperwork like SIVs, out of Afghanistan. Uh, the State Department successfully has stopped that. Uh, the people that we had got out previously, particularly the 17,000 people we got out uh, who are mainly in, in a uh, United Arab Emirates at the Abu Dhabi humanitarian center and uh, in Albania. Uh, many of those people have moved on to the United States to places like Canada, Brazil, uh, you know, as they're being held in the, in the UAE, there's a, a host of uh, nonprofits and uh, the state department. there working to, you know, sort out who is there. Where could they go? What countries would take them and uh, have been moved on uh, to to, I think there's maybe a thousand left still at the Humanitarian Center in UAE. Others that crossed the border, like you said, uh, and, you know, fleeing to places like Tajikistan and Pakistan, uh, Iran, other places, you know, they had temporary status. But many of them, uh, many of them, I know Iran sent a lot of them back into Afghanistan, which would be uh, devastating to be sent back into Afghanistan. Uh, Pakistan has, you know, has people still there and, and they're trying to find homes and it's really up in the air with, there's no, uh, they have no support. Uh, there's really no path for them. And so, you know, I think Tajikistan uh, has been super compassionate and, and caring. Uh, I was part of our operation. If you read the book, Saving Disease, I talk about how one of the last things, when we stopped flying people out, uh, myself and, and Staff Sergeant Dennis Price, went into Tajikistan, spent 10 days on that border. We did 90 miles of border reconnaissance. and uh, Literally, we swam into Afghanistan every night for 10 days, built routes out to help people trapped in the Panjir Valley get into Tajikistan. And so uh, a lot of people did make it to Tajikistan. And uh, from the best I understand, Tajikistan has been pretty compassionate. We've given them a place to, to transit to other countries or even, even some uh, refugee statuses in, in, in Tajikistan.
0: My guest, Chad Robashaw, founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, Marine veteran, multiple deployments uh, to Afghanistan. Now, you you obviously worked, interacted with the people of Afghanistan and also uh, interacted in various ways with the Taliban, looking at where they are today. And as you mentioned, women uh, being suppressed, uh, just various forms of things we don't think of in American society, and nor should we ever as being the norm. Uh, How would you assess Afghanistan today? There was also a humanitarian crisis. Uh, when it comes to food, they aren't unable to feed their own people. It's winter in Afghanistan now. I, I you know a year or so ago, I wrote about this, looked into it. the assessments were horrific then. Where is it now? I mean you talk, talking to the Afghan
1: people there on the ground it's just a sheer hell. Uh, I mean the Taliban is not equipped to run a country uh, to manage the economics of a country. Uh, people are starving, freezing to death. Uh, that's just you know. Some uh, geographical, uh, you know, uh, you know, normal everyday difficulties. But on top of that, the Taliban's, you know, leading as they always have with a, with an iron fist of uh, through their ideologies, radical ideologies. So Sharia is back in place. Their uh, their their uh, women are back to zero human rights. They uh, have to wear burkas again, and they can't go outside. And they just last week they announced that they can't see male doctors, nor can they be educated. To be doctors, nor can females be doctors as well. So there's no medical care for women in Afghanistan at all. No education uh, for them. Uh, women, uh, I say women, little girls as young as nine years old, uh, nine, 10, 11 years old, are being married off as, as as war trophies to Taliban fighters. Um, so that, you know, that you know, 20 million women have been sexually enslaved, and and uh, no one, you know, don't really have a voice speaking up for them. And uh, and and there's no one in the world that's. Even addressing this human rights issue. In addition to that, our allies, our interpreters that we left behind—I mean, hunted down, persecuted, uh, systematically brought out, brought from their homes in the middle of the night and executed—and uh, these are you know people that depended on us. These are people that the United States government gave a contract, had a contractual obligation, and a, and a moral obligation uh, to do the right thing by, it, and we didn't. And then uh, in addition, you know, I know that we still have Americans left behind that did not get out during evacuation, and there's no news there to cover it. There's no one to tell their story, and uh, and they're, they're trapped there. Many of them are trapped there in a big—we don't know what the status is on many of them, but uh, you know, I believe there's still, there's still many trapped there.
0: Well, Chad, this is an important story, and I'm glad you wrote this, Chad. Uh, Saving Aziz is the book, How the Mission to Help One Become a Calling to Rescue Thousands from the Taliban. It's a very available wherever books are sold. Uh, And to the Mighty Oaks uh, Foundation, I know you do great work there, too. uh, So uh, keep it up. Uh, Thanks so much. I appreciate being on. All right. Again, thank you, Chad. Chad absolutely. founder of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, marine veteran, eight deployments to Afghanistan, and his book, Saving Aziz, uh, just tragic, but a story that needs to be told, and it's still playing out today. join me live on the David Webb show Monday to Friday 9 to noon East on Sirius XM Patriot 125.